too much horror business driving late at night psycho 78 12 o'clock don't be late i said all this horror business. greetings and salutations my name is justin lore and i'm liam o'donnell and you are listening to episode 92 of ho ho horror business a Christmas edition. <laughs> An Italian Christmas edition. I I don't know what the fuck that was. I think I meant it to be like more like a, a Dracula, you know, but I don't know how to do a Transylvanian accent. I I understand that because you all <laughs> you, you sounded like you trying to do an Italian accent. That's what you sounded like. <laughs> no, because I didn't I didn't say, hey, what's the matter for you, huh? Pasta fajoule. God damn it. <laughs> so, on t- no disrespect to Italians everywhere. I'm sorry. Italians. Yeah, bad. yeah, my bad. So, <laughs> on this episode, our special holiday episode, we're going to be talking about two films that, um, for some reason, uh, think they embody Christmas is hard, but they actually don't. <laughs> Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out, and Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, The Initiation. Two Christmas horror movies that were clearly scripts that were not written yes. to be Christmas horror yes. movies that they then made into Christmas this, horror movies. But we'll get this to has that. Well, This but, has Hellraisers 5 through fucking 40 written all You know what I mean? Like how... Sure. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, any Cloverfield movie after the first one. I mean, let's uh, preview. I will preview this by saying I wanted to do Christmas horror. Uh, did we do Silent Night, Deadly Night? I felt like we did. It. No. The only Christmas horror movies okay. we've done, we did Krampus. Uh, sure. And then. I thought we did Christmas Evil. I thought we did we Christmas We did Black Evil. Christmas and our... Christmas Evil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. So um, I thought about doing Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2, but A. I feel like two gets covered a lot and it's unfair attention because it's not a good movie. And the best part of the movie is the garbage day part that everyone has seen a million times on, you know, various social media and stuff like barely a movie. It's basic. Yeah, it's basically Silent Night, Deadly Night one with the garbage, the garbage day scene. Garbage day, which uh, don't get me wrong, is the garbage day part fucking awesome. Yeah, it rules. It's fucking great. But that does not a movie make. And so, uh, but recently I saw a thread on Twitter where someone was watching all of the movies for the first time and expressed surprise at the amount to which they enjoyed three, four, and five. And I thought, I don't know why. I've never even thought of watching the sequels past two. It's never even occurred to me. So I was like, okay, you know, let's just do that. Fun time, whatever. And I gotta say, um, I should have done a little more research because when Brian Yuzda's name showed up for part four, I was amazed. I had no fucking clue that he was involved in that movie. The best part is like, I kind of wish that you had missed that because then you watch that movie and you're like, wow, this, uh, this feels like a Brian Yuzda film. Right, exactly. Oh, man. All right, well, we'll cover that. In a, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Uh, this episode is brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Um, without you, there would be no us. You are the air within my lungs, the blood within my heart, and the wind beneath my wings. Because of you people, this is, at the very least, I can tell my parents, I'm not losing any money. Mm. I mean, in some ways, that's all you can hope for, right? But, yes. I mean, it's in this cruel capitalist wasteland that we live in, in which certain figments of their collective imaginations are said to be not real... Santa Claus, and other ones are said to be real. Money, what else do you want? <laughs> what else do you want? Yeah, um, so I really, I, I want to shout out uh, one of our patrons, Sophia, who, by the way, suggested Paper House for the last episode. Yes. Me, me and Josh talked to her on Zoom recently just because we were free one day and she was free. She was like, hey, do you guys want to chat? We are like, sure, why not? And it was so much fun, we realized hey, we should do this for all of our patrons and have that be one of the options. And then I remembered, it already is yes. a thing. We just never did yes. it. It's already a thing that we supposedly offer. We've never done it. So 
for all of you out there who are patrons and for all of you out there who maybe aren't patrons yet but are thinking about it, we are going to start offering Zoom hangouts and maybe other things if there's other uh, platforms people prefer. We're willing to work on that. Um for patrons as a way to hang out, chat, maybe get some of your ideas for the shows uh, and the website, and just a chance to like talk yeah. and see how you're doing and get to know you a little bit. The reality is we we want to be we want to build our connections, and that seems like a good way to build connections, which is probably why I put it there in the first place and then forgot to do it. We are a podcast of the people. By the people? For the people. All right. All right. I also want to give a shout out to the homie. St. Big Tina, who gave us a lovely shout-out on uh, Twitter, and then another lovely shout-out on Instagram by posting a picture in her stories of her wearing one of our Joy Division shirts. So thank you very much, Tina. Uh, It is greatly appreciated. That reminds me, another patron and big fan of the show, Dana, who has also now joined the Cinepunks team with her own podcast, Help for the Helpers. And is on one of our Um, shirts. I just want to point that out. Yes, and is basically on one of our shirts. Uh, She needs another pin. She lost one of her pins, and she really wanted it. And she said, uh, remind uh, Justin. So I'm reminding you, on the show, Dana needs another pin. She couldn't have texted me that? She said she did, and you just didn't send it to her. I may or may not. (laughs) <laughs> I will not say that didn't happen. Um, I'll, I'll take her word for it because that is something I would do. Dana, I am sorry. I mean, it's worth bringing up only in the sense that Dana's a big fan. And so the fact that she actually wants something no, you're exactly with right. our podcast audit is awesome. And, you know, just to let you guys know, I mean, I was going through our, our uh, uh, merch that we have. Um, we're a little low on uh, medium, large, and extra large shirts, but I still have a bunch of shirts in the uh, – well, I have a few mediums. I have a bunch of smalls. I have a ton of 2Xs. So any of y'all that are of a larger carriage out there and feel like you should get a free shirt, hit me up, Cinepunks at Gmail. Uh, I just have a bunch of shirts and, like, you know – not even all of them are on the store. A bunch of them, they're not even on the store. So if you're interested in some shirts, let me know. I might send you a care package. That'd be cool. Get at them. Get at them. Also, I'm sorry, Dana. Please don't cut me off the way that Magwitch would have cut Pip off in Great Expectations, even though he didn't. <laughs> I bought you a pork pie when you were stranded in the marshes on Christmas Day. Stop. Stop. That's the second time I've referenced Great Expectations on this show. It's so weird. I love that book. Who else do we have to thank, Justin? We have to thank our sponsors. Now, Liam, if I said to you, I want to get a t-shirt that said, um, it's okay that Pip had two parents named Joe, and one of them was his sister, and the other was his brother-in-law from Great Expectations, where would you say I uh, get that shirt printed? Lehigh Valley Apparel Creation. Premier screen cream print cream. I my brain is broken. My biochip in my brain that's going to keep me from denying order sixty six is decaying. Yeah. The premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area, Lehigh Valley yeah. Apparel Creations. Okay, so let's say that you belong to a Star Wars battle reenactment group. Sure. And you're like in the, the clone troopers. And yeah. you're called the Fightin' 501st. Which is, I believe, the order of clone troopers that was under Anakin Skywalker. Don't at me if I'm wrong. I don't care. If you want to get those fucking t-shirts made, you should go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. And you should tell Chris a bunch of very specific details about the shirt. And if you don't know the details, that's fine. They can draw it up for you. But you should make it as fucking complicated as possible with as many really requests hard. so you can drive him to fucking lunacy. And you should find the smallest um, union-run T-shirt manufacturer y- you can find and insist they be printed on those shirts and then just hold your breath until Chris loses his mind because he can't find the shirts he wants. Not just for the glory of the working class. Not alone, but also for the pain of Chris. For, to bring about Chris's downfall. Chris does quality work. Chris does too good of a job, I'll say. To a fault. He adheres to quality to a fault. And that's why we, the people, have to drive him insane. 
because it's either him or us. So, if you have an idea for your fucking dumb cock band or your podcast, you know, you're out there. I know people out there have podcasts. Your, I don't know, fucking leftist pie-eating group, which is a thing I'm going to start. Go to www.xlvacx.com for more information on how you can start the process that will erode a little bit of Chris's sanity. I think that's a good idea. That's a good idea. It's a great idea. Who else do we want to thank? Who else do we want to thank? Oh, there you go. No, I got it. I got it. Uh, We also want to thank our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Essex Coffee Roasters offer you... At very affordable prices, premium quality coffee, roasted to order. So it's not sitting there waiting on you, going stale. It's roasted when you order it. They have a variety of single origin options and blends, as well as premium teas and awesome merch. Check them out, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And when you order something, let's say you do like I did. You order the Honduras, and you order the... Uh, Guatemalan, and it's time for checkout. You're going to want to put in the gift code area, discount code area, CINEPUNKS, all caps, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. I don't know if it has to be all caps, but that's how I do it. And you're going to get 10% off. And I've been rocking that 10% off. Why would I get coffee somewhere else? Why would I settle for coffee anywhere else when I can get 10% off some of the best coffee I've ever what had. What are you, a stupid? Essex coffee roasters. Uh, it it yeah. should also be noted that the homie Josh Alvarez and his rockin' band, Crosby's, the best sure. uh, the best band that features members of Ink and Dagger, Kid Dynamite, and Sounds Like As Friends Rust at their peak, are doing a crossover with Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, it should be noted that on uh, a popular podcast, uh, Cross Keys was referred to as a punk rock retirement plan, and uh, I gotta say, it's the best punk rock retirement plan I can think yeah, of. Yeah, it's either that or becoming a skinhead. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Actually, that's fine. So, where can they? They can go to what? Uh, Cross Keys at Big Cartel, or you can also just get it from. You can get the specific Cross Keys blend at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. There you go. Now comes the time in the podcast. Yep. Where the days grow shorter, the wind grows colder. Off in the distance, you hear the cry of the lonely bird. <laughs> Yuletide has come upon us. The children shiver in their beds, for they know that old Saint, old Sinterklaas is afoot. As I cower under my bed, I hear the sounds of the skeleton of reindeer dancing on their roof. I know my time has come. But I don't plead for mercy from that elf, no. Instead, I, I, I take a breath and I shout, Liam, what have you done involving Har recently? Not a ton, but I do have one or two things I can mention. One is, uh, and I, I was wondering if you, because we hadn't talked about this. Justin, have you seen a little movie called 12-Hour Shift? Uh, no, but I keep seeing it all over the place. Well, uh, listeners may remember we discussed, I don't feel like it was that long ago, we talked about um, Bria Grant's movie that played at the, what was the name of that fest, that online horror fest we did? Nightstream. Nightstream. And she had a movie, the name, again, escapes me. Lucky? That she did. Lucky, yes. Well, apparently she did two movies recently. This is her other movie, 12-Hour Shift. And... um. I don't know, so I'm I'm bringing it up as horror, uh, but I'm doing it with a brief caveat. I don't know this is the sort of movie that everyone would consider horror. I found it to be, at minimum, a genre film with horror influences, but it's you know it's it's basically a everything goes wrong in a night movie. Okay, you know what I mean. You know those kind of movies. It's it's one night. It's one literally twelve hour shift where everything goes wrong. It sounds like me losing enough, my virginity. Wackity schmackity do. Um, enough of the things that go wrong are just based in violence, like just awful, gory things happening. That for me, it felt like a horror movie. But I I, I don't think anyone will be offended if you. It's the sort of movie that would play at a horror fest, but some people wouldn't consider horror. But suffice to say, um, our main character is a nurse who works a 12-hour shift. Uh, she 
like a lot of uh, folks work crazy hours, has a, a small addiction issue. Um, and she is part of a organ ring where basically uh, patients that are dying or about to die, she marks them and someone removes their organs and she hands off the organ to someone who brings it to a local crime boss to be sold. Um, the person that she has gotten to be the handoff person is her cousin and it's pretty clear that her cousin is stupid <laughs> and on this particular shift her cousin forgets the organ leaves it outside okay local crime boss played by uh, the wrestler Mankind whose real name I always forget Mick Foley how the fuck do you forget that it always goes out of my brain. I always think like uh, mankind, dude, love, or, cactus uh, jack, dude, love, yeah, 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 cactus jack. Mick Foley plays the local crime boss. He's obviously upset. He sends her back to retrieve it, and then things go wrong from there for a variety of reasons, mostly related to the organ harvesting, but a, a variety of things go wrong, including also uh, David Arquette. Speaking of quote unquote wrestlers, <laughs> David Arquette plays a criminal who is in the hospital for some medical condition but he's like he's uh you know under arrest and then he tries to escape so uh, all these things sort of go wrong at once um it's i think one of the reasons people will have trouble seeing it as a horror movie despite the gore of it all is that um it's funny and i think um you know horror and comedy go together well but sometimes if comedy wins out people don't see it as horror it, it could be seen as a gory black comedy. I don't think that would be wrong, but I think horror fans would enjoy this film. It has a dark, dark, dark sense of humor. And this combined with Lucky really shows me that Bria, uh, besides being a great actress, has a future in directing. Oh, you she's, know, I just, she's, um, yeah, I can I, I, I'm excited to see what she does next. 100%. I mean, I you know, I was already a fan, but um, this really sort of pushed me over. Again, it's not like a top 10 all-time movie or something like that. God, I don't want to oversell it, but it's very strong. It's very funny. It surprised me more often than I thought it would. I've really, really enjoyed it. So I just, you know, that's a, that's a big recommend for me for a 12-hour shift. I also watched, again, I, I, I wouldn't call this horror, but I would call it horror adjacent. Uh, the new Abel Farrar movie, Siberia. Okay. It is it is more of a nightmare movie than it is uh, a traditional horror movie. But of course, being a nightmare movie, a lot of the imagery is horror related. So I think for those of the those of people in our audience who like a good artsy film and you know might have an appreciation for Abel Ferrara, basically um Willem Dafoe plays I, it feels like he's a ghost. It, we, what it feels like to me, Justin, is that this is kind of like a Jacob's Ladder, but instead of like a Jacob's Ladder where it's like um, he's fighting his last moments, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is like Willem Dafoe is 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 either this is a dream or Willem Dafoe is well aware he's on his way out of the world and he's just reliving moments of his life. But it's a, it's a guy who works in obscure way station slash bar in Siberia and it the movie non-linearly travels through his life as if it's a dream or it's his memories or something. And a number of the things that happen that are upsetting are filmed in a way that makes me wish Abel Farrar had done more horror. He did do the addiction and some other things, but uh, obviously uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that stuff. But, uh, you know, he he's done more um, drama and exploitation than he does horror. And... There's particularly an animal attack in this movie um, that I, I couldn't spoil for you because it will surprise you no matter what I say. That is so good. It's so good that I was like, why doesn't Abel Farrar do more horror? This is very upsetting. So, um, yeah, I, I highly recommend uh, Siberia. And then I also went back. We've talked before about the movie Possessor, which, again, is kind of horror adjacent. I, I think it's horror, but I can see people, whatever. Uh, I, I'd only watched the normal version but there's an uncut version available now in home video so i went back and watched the uncut version i recommend that if you haven't seen possessor and you have access to the uncut version i would recommend that that's a 
Brandon Cronenberg, uh, uh, director of what was his other one, Antiviral or something? Yes. Yes. I liked Antiviral too. Uh, this is another weird sci fi slash horror slash at times kind of action y movie. Um, to me, there's enough like disassociation and nightmare imagery here that it falls solidly as a horror movie. But I wouldn't be offended if someone said like, well, I think it's more like a, yeah, that's fine. If you care enough to feel that way, I'm not going to be offended. But to me, it's a scary horror movie. And then when you add in the uncut extra gore and upsetness of it, it fucked me up on second viewing as much as it did on first viewing. So there you go. Possessor. There you are. That's it though. I've, I've been spending a lot more time catching up with, not horror movies. I managed to watch a lot more new horror movies in 2020 and skipped a lot of new other movies in 2020. So I've been, you know, trying to catch up a little bit um, just to feel like I, I have some feeling of what, what what happened in film in 2020. Respect. Real quick, this is completely not horror related, but I was meaning to ask you, have you gotten a chance to watch the Beyond documentary? No, I didn't know there was a Beyond documentary. Of the band Beyond? No, I don't know the band Beyond. Wait, really? Oh, Beyond. Oh, my God. My brain just Jesus. died for a second. They Okay, so tell me about this. I saw it posted on No Echo, and I didn't check it out because I thought, what? how is there a whole documentary about Beyond? Like, they didn't put out that much material. But then I thought about it, and, like, I guess all the members of Beyond went on to interesting That's things. That's exactly right? what it's about. It's, a, it's, it's basically about how this, like, kind of – not as well-known youth crew band was really like the genesis for so much insane shit over the years. Okay, can we put youth crew in quotes? Only in that, like, in some ways, Beyond is literally youth crew because they were 14 from the youth of today. But in a lot of ways, they're not youth crew because youth crew has come to describe a style, and they were definitely not that fucking style. No, but but it was... Okay, like, we'll say, like, a weird not as well-known hardcore band of the sure. youth crew. Sure. Um, and then, but like members from that band went on to do so much other like weird influential shit like quicksand, um, fucking inside out glass straw burn. Uh, yep. and that's, it's just about like, you know, examining that and then leading up to their, the, the one good bold record. Yes. Thank you. With Tom Capone. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny about that too, is that I used to think that was the bad bold record. And now that I've actually listened to it a bunch of times, I'm like, I think this is actually the good bold record. Oh yeah. It, uh, I've, I've held that view since I was 16 years old. I just assumed there was no really good bold record. There was just the the weird record and the record that was fast. And now I'm like, well, there's the the record that was clearly made by children, and then there's the record that actually has like cool parts yeah. and fun things about yeah. it. Yeah. Other than that, for horror, I I haven't really done. I haven't watched any movies aside from what we're doing today. I watched the first episode of The Stand. That counts as horror. How is that? Uh, pretty good. I know it's getting a lot of flack because it's sort of like jumping around. It's not told in like a linear fashion, but it is already focusing on one of my favorite things from the novel, which is like the weird contradictory tragedy of Harold Lauder. How like you feel kind of terrible for him, but you also at the same time want him to die. Uh, that was like, that was most of the first episode. I don't know. It's just, it just, it's, uh, it, it, it looks like it's going to be great. Um, it's got a great cast. Uh, excellent use of Billy Joel's The Stranger for the first time we see Randall Flagg. Uh, and I'm just kind of excited about like what's going to come next. I realize something else that is going to seem not horror at all, but actually has some interesting horror elements, is um, the second season of that show, Hilda, came out. Okay. Uh, Hilda is a kid's cartoon based off a series of graphic novels, and it's always had a bit of a fantasy element with occasional scary bits. And this second season, again, it's not like horror horror, but it leans a lot more on horror than on its previous fantasy elements. And I've been really impressed by like, I don't know, it gets kind of scary. I've been a little bit like, should I be watching this with Maeve or not? <laughs> but uh, but it's pretty cool for, for those of you who like have any sort of tolerance for children's things. I know a lot of people are offended at the idea that they would watch anything for kids. And uh, those people are, you know, soulless monsters. But for those of you out there who, uh, you know, 
an artsy uh, kids cartoon sounds okay, I can say the second season of Hilda is like super charming and has some like really strange nightmarish stuff that like is it's fun in the fact that it's a little scary. I can dig it. They do this great take on Christmas. You know, it's in an, it's not in a world like ours. It's in a whole other world. It's sort of like a, imagine a, a fairy tale world, but that has broadly modernized. So like Hilda moves from the country into a modern city, but the name of the city is Trollberg, and there's a big wall around the city to keep trolls out. So like they have automobiles, but trolls are like a real thing that they have to like be concerned about you know what i mean yeah 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 so in this world they have something like christmas but in their christmas it's really just there's a tree and the tree has these flowers and when the flowers bloom they light up and it looks like a christmas tree hence the sort of christmas association and she meets these um these little elf-like creatures that are called the yule yule bros and the yule bros are looking for naughty children uh, and they say, oh, it's because we, we we don't give the naughty children candy, and that's why. And then it's revealed that actually they look for naughty children because there's a horrible ogre that wanders into town on the night of the special solstice, and it eats a stew of naughty children. And it's their job to capture the naughty children for the naughty children's stew. How is that only horror, Jason, and not outright fucking pants-shitting terrible? It gets even more horrible when you when it's revealed that the Yule brothers, uh, Yule, they're they're called Yule Yule lads. Actually, I'm sorry, not bros. The Yule lads are all other naughty children that the ogre forced to serve her in her hunger for fucking naughty children stew. It's so upsetting. They've basically been enslaved to her. Yeah. in stealing children for like centuries. They're like a horrifying version of the Doozers and the Fraggles on Fraggle Rock. Yeah, exactly. With more cannibalism. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it's that that's the sort of vibe and it's it's a fun show and I really like it and, and it, again, if you like cartoons, check it out. Cool. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1989's American slasher film Silent Night Deadly Night 3. Better watch out. Better watch out. We'll be right back. Enter a world of dreams. <sighs> Laura, tell me what you saw in your dream. I told you, Dr. Newberry. Santa Claus. A world of silence. Subject may be making contact. I don't want to see the future or the past. I just want to be normal. A world of madness. No one is normal. A world that can't be ignored. She likes it, loves it. She can't resist it. He wants to penetrate his mind, see what he sees. He was a little boy, and then something happened, something terrible. Because when the dream is over... I don't know what's going on here, but whatever it is... The nightmare begins. The Yuletide terror returns. His brain was surgically reconstructed. You don't mind my saying, I'd have pulled his plug. Even his life was of value. With the saga that shocked a nation. Robert Culp, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 3, Better Watch Out. Supported by full trade and consumer advertising. P.O.P. includes a full-size poster. And we are back to talk about 1989's slasher film, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out. Liam, how did you feel about this movie? Oh, man. Uh, for those of you who are totally, you know, like, I can't believe this movie even exists, you shouldn't feel bad about that. It is uh, it is it is one of the weirder sequels to, uh, I wouldn't even say well-known, but mildly well-known franchise that I've seen in a long time that involves um, a woman who is, a young woman who is sight-impaired, and somehow being sight-impaired means she's psychic. And a doctor is using her psychic powers to reach the brain-dead killer guy from part two of Silent Night, Deadly Night, who should be dead, but they've reconstructed his brain. And he's trying to use this woman's psychic powers to reach his 
comatose body. And of course, she does reach it, and that causes him to wake up and go on a killing spree. While she's trying to go on vacation in Northern California, I guess, with her weird Jerry Curl brother whose hair is weird and Jerry curled. Uh, it's not really Jerry Curl. It's just, it's just, it's it looks like the worst perm. Yeah. It looks like the worst perm I've ever seen in my life, basically, yeah. is what it is. Uh, so he goes on a killing spree, which you'd think a guy who could barely move and doesn't even have a full skull wouldn't be a very effective killer, but you would be wrong. He is an amazingly effective killer and manages to travel hours and hours upstate in California to harass our main character while being pursued by this doctor who's basically responsible for this whole thing who sucks and, uh, you know, a cop with an attitude. And that's that's basically it. Yeah. That's basically what happens. Uh, you know, it's fine. I, I mean, I, I the best I can say is, how did they make a third film in this franchise? Like, it shouldn't even fucking exist. And so for a movie that shouldn't even fucking exist, you know, it's fine. It's to, it's, it is surprisingly fine. I liked it better than part two. But is it a movie I'm sold on? Like, I would ever rewatch it given a choice no there's just like like there's not enough here it's there's a bit of kookiness you know there's all these nightmare sequences uh because of her psychic abilities but a lot of those nightmare sequences involve clips from the other movies which i hate that's so lazy and dumb uh they don't do any real work to connect christmas here at all really literally the only thing they do is uh ricky caldwell wakes up to uh, a drunk santa claus fucking with him and then I think it takes place on Christmas Eve. Yeah, like they're definitely going to see their grandmother because it's Christmas. And he is apparently triggered by the color red. So when he sees red, so he's got So fucking kill. stupid. It's so stupid. Oh. None of the kids... Oh, the other problem here, and I think you'll agree with me on this... The kills are kind of boring for this... For the, This is 1989, you know? Slashers have been out here for a while... If you want to win people over with violence, you got to do that work. You got to do that good, good. And uh, this movie is kind of boring when it comes to the kills. Yeah. We're not the sort of podcast that often evaluates horror movies on kills. That's not to judge other podcasts. I'm not trying to throw shade. But that's like, that's not a thing we usually care about. But I will say, in a third sequel slasher movie where you haven't done any, other than her psychic powers, there's nothing here to distinguish this movie really in any particular way. You got to at least have cool kills and cool gore. And you know what I mean? Like, that's why we're here. You know, this is like this is like going to see a beatdown band and the band has boring breakdowns. It's like, yo, the only reason anyone here is here is to spin kick people. And and you're not doing it. Why aren't you doing it? It, it I would be like if you went and saw Bulldoze and they didn't play the song Beatdown. (laughs) And he didn't break a baseball bat on someone's head. Yes. And yell DMS. No, this movie's just. But yeah, it's I, it's, it's it just like it. You say this movie shouldn't exist, and I put to you that as a sequel to Silent Night, Deadly Nights one and two, it barely exists. Like it literally, the only thing that ties it together with those movies is the fact that the main character has this. It's like the main character has the same name. Like we're supposed to believe that Bill Mosley is the garbage day guy. Everything garbage el- day. Everything else in this movie is like it. It, it doesn't like one of my biggest problems with, with 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 Christmas horror is that oftentimes it's just like it being it taking place at Christmas is just like a gimmick. Agreed. Like the reason that Christmas Evil works is because the driving factor of like. The, drive, the, the, the malady that drives the main character to do what he does is inherently tied into Christmas. He saw his mother being right. eaten out by Santa Claus. Who, who amongst us has yeah. it? So without Christmas, the movie wouldn't exist, if that makes any sense. This movie could be taking place on fucking Guy Fawkes Day or the fucking day... If you, if you remove the flashback sequences and you change maybe 10 lines of the movie... This movie exists completely independent of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Almost as if it was done on purpose. Like they were thinking, we might want to edit this later and re-release it as a different movie. Yes, it almost feels that way. 
it's, I mean, it's undoubtedly a script that existed on its own that then they shoehorned into this franchise, right? Like, I, I don't think I'm being unfair when no, I say like that. No, like I said before, this, there's no way it's connected. This, this has, this has Hellraiser post Hellraiser five or post Hellraiser four written all over it. This was clearly like a spec script that was just floating around, and then whatever production company made Silent Night Deadly Night got a hold of it. And was like, hey, if we touch this up, we could make this Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Or, <laughs> or they already shot it and then reshot scenes to make it fucking. 100% that is possible. I don't think it, that's the case because I think there's too many parts that connect at least a little bit. But I think that it is possible that this was a different movie that they edited into this franchise. Yeah, this isn't. And if you think we're like being unfair, this really isn't. Um, there's like a lot wrong with this movie. Like Liam said, no kills, pass. No werewolves, pass. Stop. No connection, no real connection to Christmas. And then worst of all, they fucking wasted Bill Mosley in this movie. That could have been any dickhead. He doesn't do anything. He literally doesn't, like, give me, I don't even need like fucking Otis Driftwood Bill Mosley or Chop Top Bill Mosley. Just... Bill Mosley can be fucking terrifying, even when he's being restrained. And this movie did, like, it didn't, there, there was no reason to specifically cast him in this role. It could, it could have been fucking me or Liam in this movie. I will, okay, it's, it's important. I do want to make this distinction, okay? Because Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 gets a lot of praise, actually. And I think that praise is unjustified. And I think on the whole... That this movie is a better movie. However, the reason everyone ignores that Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is a bad movie is because of the last 30 minutes or so that involved the famous Garbage Day line. Yeah. If this movie had anything, even one fucking second, as interesting, silly, over-the-top, imaginative as the last like 20 minutes of this of part two then this movie would probably be remembered as being great because the reality is the bar is pretty fucking low. Oh, yeah. But the reason that part two will live on in people's memory, despite the fact that it's there's nothing there, it's not a movie, is because it goes over the top. This film is so scared to do anything interesting or somebody somewhere was not pushing this movie to do anything fun and engaging that it doesn't matter that like on the whole it's a much more more coherent film than part two and it actually has something like a a plot that at least makes sense none of that matters though we're not here to be like oh wow that that movie was solidly mediocre way to go no you should be doing something crazy and they never even try to do anything that i would qualify as crazy i beg to differ bill mosley has a transparent dome for a head which makes it worse. That is not enough. No, but that's what I'm saying. Is it's like they very clearly understood the the the, the value of going over the top, because sure, sure, he has a bubble for a head. So it's like they're clearly not averse to kind of stepping outside the box, or maybe going a little, you know, hey, this is a movie about a a, a sight impaired woman who has psychic abilities, and may or may not be fucking Matt Murdock, and. Uh, this guy's in a coma, and they can telepathically communicate. But let's 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 keep it let's keep it you know let's not go too far. It's like, no, you're, go go too far. It it also feels like the actress is not particularly great at embodying what it's like to not be able to see. Yeah, it just other than a couple points where she's like. Hello? There's like, it's, it, it doesn't feel consistent. Not at all, no. And then just like the whole thing with like the, the, the side plot of like the doctor, that the, like them pursuing him, and how like it was this weird, like they kept trying to have these like conversations on the nature of like evil and all this shit. And I just felt that they were trying to maybe do something with like a Loomis style character about like, Ricky Codwell never had a chance. He was born, you know, whatever. Like, it, it just felt too shoehorned in there. And it ultimately didn't really add anything to the story. Well, I think that, you know, it, it, it creates a lot of unnecessary 
dialogue in the film, which helps him stretch the film out, but it doesn't do anything. So then if you're going to justify all that, then give us an interesting moment. But it's your standard. He shows up. He's like, Ricky. And then Ricky kills him. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Not even in a fun way. If we're going to build up so much stuff around this doctor, at least do something with that moment. Just stupid. I hate this movie. I didn't. I didn't hate it the way I thought I might. Because, you know, I picked these movies just because they were fun and random. And I thought this might be total trash. I didn't hate it the way that I thought I would. But I hated it for, I think, is a worse reason to hate it, which is is that it's boring. Yeah. And that's not what I want for this. You, you, you're, you got number three in this series that in which number two is so memorable, despite being actually... Uh, cut together garbage you might as well do something fun and it's like it's like no one on set had an imagination and that is truly disappointing to me and again not that i should have high expectations for the third in a series that is this low rate to begin with but you know i thought it'd do something weird creepy upsetting funny and it just never gets there and that that's it made me mad it made me a little mad because of that I feel you on that. Sorry to be short on this one, guys, but there's really not much more to say. And I feel like we'll have more to say about the next one. Yes. Um, So that's Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Better better watch out. You can skip it. Let's just just go ahead and say, if if your friend suggests, let's do a Christmas horror marathon. We're going to watch all the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. You could skip three. I would recommend you skip three and go straight from two to four. Yeah. And you're not going to miss anything. Yeah. Um. On the plus side, I no longer think Three from Hell is the most boring movie Bill Mosley's ever been in. <laughs> Fair. Oh, but the fuck, God damn it. Like, how do you... How do you fuck this movie up? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I guess we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, 1990s supernatural horror film Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, also known as bugs in the United States. They would call it bugs. Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. We'll be right back. A bizarre event. This would make a great story. For her, it was the chance of a lifetime. I work for the LAI. I'm an investigative reporter. There's got to be some logical explanation for the burning. But some questions... Get away from me! Leave me alone! ...are better left unanswered. What happened? Are you all right? Ah! The woman who jumped. She was my daughter. But now you've come to take her place. Make your fear real. Get it out. It's the night you've been waiting for. Kill the man. Become a whole woman. The night you've been screaming for. It's the final step. Silent Night, Deadly Night, for Emaciation. You're one of us now. Join the club. And we are back to talk about 1990s supernatural thriller film. Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, a.k.a. Bugs. Now, here's the thing about this movie. This movie is just as guilty, if not more guilty, than the prior film of not having anything to fucking do with Christmas. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is... It's not a big surprise that the fourth movie in a franchise like this is detached from the original. That happens. But this movie also seems to be pretty uninterested in Christmas entirely. Yeah, I was kind of hoping, like, once I realized where it was going, I was kind of hoping that, like, maybe there would be some, like, ancient ritual that they would have to complete on the Yule or, like, the solstice. I mean, because they do do the ritual at the end, but I don't think that's, like, it's not on Christmas, is it? So I think it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be Christmas, but it uh, there aren't really any direct. It's not clear that it's Christmas at all. No. Um, I guess okay. So there's a to to get you guys into this a little bit. There's a what appears to be a strange like part suicide, part spontaneous combustion event, and our main character is a. A woman reporter who's trying to make her way in the world in L.A. And the roof from which this other victim has both caught fire and jumped off has a Christmas tree on it. 
uh, a big pole with Christmas lights coming off of it. You remove that Christmas tree. I don't remember a single other reference to the time of year. I guess she goes to a holiday party, right? Well, she also and people, she, she goes to her boyfriend's parents' house for dinner, and they have like a Christmas tree set up. Right, 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 right. But you know, other than a couple of those, like you could probably cut four scenes from this movie, and it, it would be completely Christmas free. Yeah, which I guess is not that big a surprise because it's set in L.A. And I guess. Uh, if you're trying to set like a winter wonderland feel, uh, downtown Los Angeles is not the place to do that. <laughs> I have heard that L.A. during Christmas time is quite lovely, though. Fair. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, that being said, I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Yeah, I got to say, this is this is when when I say it's unrelated to the original, that sounds like a criticism, but in the way that it allows this movie to be fully a Brian Yuzna fucked up, grew gr- like just gooey, gross, uh, witch movie, which I wasn't expecting yeah. before it started, uh, is really f- effective. It's not, you know, it's not a groundbreaking movie. I don't think anyone put it in their like, you know, twenty best horror movies of all time, but it's enjoyable from top to bottom. Not least of which because there is a completely unhinged clint howard in it which i can't argue against that that seems fun there are screaming mad george effects that are upsetting very upsetting uh and uh while i think you know any witch story is somewhat difficult to negotiate uh because it's like if these are empowered women which is sort of the vibe we're getting why are they so manipulative and abusive towards our main character that's a that's always a weird aspect of these sorts of movies but once you put that skepticism aside it really works it works for the characters involved it works the script works like it's a it's a solid movie all around that just happens to be the fourth movie in this franchise yeah it, I, I mean I even really appreciate like the kind of quasi judeo-christian mythos that they brought to this like the whole idea that like they're trying to embody lilith you know the adam's first wife who rebelled against him and was cursed to crawl about in her belly and be a serpent and then they were like oh that's she is kin to all creeping things and that's why there's like fucking bugs all over the place i thought that was a level of detail that made this movie even weirder because it kind of fleshes out what we're dealing with and they didn't have to do that, but they did. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel that. Um, it's also worth pointing out that Clint Howard's character's name is Ricky. And I sincerely hope that. Uh, yeah. I really hope that they're not alluding to that being um, Ricky Caldwell. No, I'm sure that's just a nod to the other movie. Yeah. Um, no, this movie was great. Like, it, I mean, it, it feels every inch like a Brian Yuzna film. Like anytime Brian Yuzna and Screaming Mad George are in the same room together, I am happy and I'm glad to be alive. And this movie does have some shortcomings. Like some of the acting is like, what the, what? It, it just kind of took me out of it. Um, but I, I just think this was a movie that wasn't really, af- that, that wasn't afraid to do some things that maybe the prior film wasn't. Yeah, I think that um, I think the Coven aspect is only a little weird in that sometimes it feels like it plays off cishet men's anxieties about being eliminated by lesbians. Yes, you know, there's a bit of a sapphic feel here, but that level of menace, let's call it sapphic menace, that might actually be in a weird way fulfilling for some people that they might be like, yeah, I like the idea that like we're a menace to men. You know, if if that actually sounds less like judgment for you and more like a fun detail, that's cool that that's in the movie then. Um, The imagery I thought was all kind of upsetting. Um, There's a lot of like just strange moments that, uh, uh, you know, the, I don't think the movie ever falls over into actually disturbing, but it's gross enough that the grossness is, it it adds to that level of like, you know, this is, this is more than a goofy thing. It's, it's got, it's got an edge of, of gross that I think helps a lot. Uh, yeah. When her hands at the end, like sort of like weave together into a flaming dick hand, I I was like, Oh, what what are you, what are we doing here? Yes. No, we're like, what are you, what's up? What's up with this? Like, 
Where are we going with this? The symbolism of her growing a dick out of her hands and then stabbing the lead sorceress? I don't know. Also, and I kind of wish I hadn't remembered this, but I did, and now you all have to be aware of this. There is a scene where Clint Howard fucks while wearing a strange dildo mask. And that is the most upsetting thing in this film. It's a weird mask. It's very. It's a strange choice. I don't know if that scene needed to be shot. <laughs> I don't know if they should have done that on numerous levels. Also, uh, what's his name from Phantasm is in this movie. Oh yeah, uh, Reggie Bannister, aka what's it, Hank from Breaking Bad. I know they're not the same actor, but they are. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. But God, this is this was just I, I don't know. This was just like a I wasn't like blown away by this, but I watched it and I was like, oh, that was fun. That was that was a cool movie that I think gets overlooked because it's um, probably just seen as like another as just another subpar sequel. And I didn't know that Brian Yuzna um, directed this. So this this is another like Brian Yuzna film that is not bad. Well, it feels like this was probably just like. Hey, we need to get a name to direct this sequel so someone will see it. We'll get Yuzna. And then Yuzna takes it over and makes it his own thing and it stands on its own. And again, I don't think either one of us are saying it's like an all time classic, but it is at minimum better than the fourth Silent Night, Deadly Night movie deserves to be. Uh, it's definitely better than the second and third Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. 100%. What it felt like to me is the sort of movie you find on Cinemax at midnight in 1994. Eight, you know, and you're like, oh, what's this? I never heard of this. And then it actually like keeps you awake for the next two hours because it's like surprisingly entertaining and fun. You know, it'd, it'd be a good sleepover film in in the '90s. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh, a, 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 again a, not a masterpiece, but you know, effective, yeah. creepy. It has some it has some cool moments here. It has some fun performances. Uh, yes, some of the acting is painful, but I think you can roll with that. I don't think, you know, most horror fans are not holding up some sort of weird actor studio measure. I was going to say, I don't, I, I, I don't need some fucking James Lipton-esque shit in here. I just, I'll look past a lot, but it's just worth noting that if that is something that like sticks it in your crawl, like heads up. And also there is a scene of sexual assault. So also heads up to that. Yeah, I guess that's worth saying is that the it's easy to make light of the scene with Clint Howard because it is um it's weird to see Clint Howard in a weird mask getting it on, but it's also sexual assault. That's also assault. So, I you know, I I'm not saying the movie doesn't take it seriously. It's just hard not to find Clint Howard a weird dude in general. Yeah, I um I don't ever need to see Clint Howard fuck ever again. And I don't ever need to see Clint Howard's O-Face under a dildo mask ever again. I certainly don't even need to see Clint Howard pull some sort of weird screaming Mad George bug out of an air vent ever again. Because that was that fucked, was weird, actually. Yeah, um, everything, the, the, everything with the bugs in this movie, like uh, that was just um, I, th- I think the scene that creeped me out the most for whatever reason was the scene in her apartment when there's the giant roach like running around. And we only ever see it like once or twice, but they do the thing where it's like you see the aftermath of its passage, like blankets getting pulled over and shit getting knocked down. Yeah, I, I just just the idea of like a roach the size of a schnauzer running rampant through your apartment is so fucking unsettling. Well, I think in that way it plays off a few anxieties, right? Like, you know, you move to a city for the first time. And there might be some bugs or whatever. And the fact that this like accentuates that to an upsetting degree or the feeling of like being alone and all you have is this like person that you're interested in romantically, but you can't even trust them or the whole the work anxiety of it all or the finding a new community of people and not being sure if you can trust them. And, you know, the the reality that this coven of witches has connections already in your life like there's this there's a little bit of like a paranoia to the film that isn't super accentuated but it is there and i think it it works to raise the anxiety of the movie overall 
Oh yeah, I mean it's um, even though all the other members of the Coven, the Coven, whatever. Yeah, the, um, an Amer- Coven, Coven like, American uh, movie. <laughs> um, the members of the Coven, they're on the surface benevolent, but you really get that vibe of like almost like a Lynchian sus- like suspicion of something that's like just under the wholesome like um, matriarch facade is something truly evil. And that's what this, this coven is, is the, it's like beneath the, beneath the vizier is, uh, you know, something horrifying, which is uh, spooky witches. And the other thing that like, the other thing that like, the, the other scene that made me feel like very uneasy was the scene when they go to her boyfriend's uh, parents' house for dinner. There's something about the way her interactions with his mother are shot because it's sort of like a close, it's, it's like a close up in um, almost like a fisheye lens when she's talking to the mother and there's just yeah. something that's like, diso- it's, it's almost like something out of like, um, like a Peter Jackson film where it's like disorienting and it makes you, it, it's not grotesque and it's nothing that like pops out at you, but there's just something off enough where you feel that something's not right. And I think in a movie in which uh, a woman is harassed by a giant cockroach, I like the fact that they chose to use that technique in a, in a scene that was otherwise not scary. Like, I mean, she's meeting her boyfriend's parents for the first time, and they chose to use that, 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 that shooting technique to kind of make it like just where you're like, um, this doesn't sit well with me. Well, I think it's meant to, or at least the vibe I got from it is like, no matter how cool and hip her boyfriend seems, that under the surface, there's no difference between him and this fucked up Americana place from which he comes. That like, if she follows the trail of like hot lunchtime fucking in a hotel room, she's going to end up in this house, in this situation. With this raving anti-Semite sitting in a stupid chair. Forcing, forcing Frank, you know, pigs in a blanket on someone as if there's some sort of new, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's that, that, that anxiety. I mean, you know, it, in that way, it's a very sort of of its time thing where it's like, is, is all of our uh, cool modernity just an illusion until we settle and end up like our parents in the in the in the sixties? Yeah, no, I think I think that's. Uh... I think that's valid. Uh, although I have to admit, I don't know what reasonable person would put up with someone saying the shit that her fa- that his father was saying. Oh, it's so awful! And not only like like they didn't even acknowledge like they didn't really acknowledge that he was saying this shit. And I don't I don't know like I I get it. It's whatever. But I was just kind of like, no, like no one would no one would let that roll off their shoulders. Like nobody. Well, I think she's upset about it, but she thinks that, you know, he should be coming to her defense and uh, her boyfriend slash co-worker doesn't seem to give a fuck about her. Yeah. And then she rightfully calls him out on it, which I appreciate. Yeah. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, this is one of the situations where I'd like to be like, well, that's an exaggeration because that's not really how people talked in the 80s. But guess what? <laughs> Uh, not an exaggeration. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, not even close. A, a man sitting in a chair drinking a beer and 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 uttering anti-Semitic uh, ravings—that's my uncle Jeff at any random house. Look, right now, that's him right now as we speak. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it was just uh, not in a scene that was kind of embodying. The tension of meeting like your lover's parents it was just a sort of thing where it's like oh okay like cool he's just saying the shit and getting away with it that's fine i will say the the thing about it that was kind of surprising to me so what you know spoilers for a movie that is at this point you know 30 years old but i thought the connection to christmas was going to be that her she was destined in some way to like 
give birth to some sort of Satan child, which would make sense, right? Like, yeah. we're trying to coordinate the birth of Satan on Christmas because, you know, whatever. Although, historically inaccurate, doesn't really make sense at all. It kind of makes sense for, like, a like a movie like yeah, this. Yeah, no, like, but for, for, like, a... But for instead, like a, it has no relationship to that, which, again, was fine. It actually worked for the movie, but part of me was like, well, how is this related to Christmas again? Off mic, Liam said that he was upset that no one quoted the WB Yeats poem, The Second Coming, and Liam was like, how am I supposed to know which rough, which rough beast is slouching towards Bethlehem if they don't bring it up. Oh! There was also no Scrooged references that kind of bummed <laughs> me out. Yeah, they didn't have Buster Poindexter running and fucking like, that you Santa Claus. And weirdly, no one wassled the whole movie. There was no wassling. No, I know. It's, it, it was an out... You know what? I don't like this movie anymore. Also, no werewolves in this that, movie. That, the head sorceress did eat some figgy pudding, though, so that helps. <laughs> Did she? I, <laughs> no, no, okay, she I had to like think for a second. Like, did I miss a scene where they had figgy pudding? No, but that, I mean, there is the consumption of dates that maybe are actually bugs. That happens. And dates are part of a good figgy pudding, and I should know because I made one last week. Although I can't eat it because it's too alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic, uh, classic issue. Um, oh, what else? I, 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 I like. There's. I don't know. There, there's there's not really much more we could say about this movie because it's like these were two. I mean, I the the thing I want to be really clear on is uh, it's not perfect, but it is surprisingly good. And I think for a lot of our audience, surprisingly good is sufficient. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're not it, they're not always looking for a masterpiece. And I and I was really impressed that this wasn't shitty. You know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't often make make enough sense, but um, it's it's. It's biggest, my biggest problem with it was that it didn't connect to Christmas and was very clearly shoehorned into the franchise. But if you can look past that, which you can because I did and I'm neurotic about everything, this is a fun movie. And like fun, not in like, it was, you know, bless its heart. This is like, it's icky. Um, I think the kills are better. I mean, there are, there's what, one kill when her boyfriend gets killed? Um, but that's far more graphic than anything that's in the last movie. Um, and it, it tells, it at least attempts to tell an interesting story, which, you know, the prior two films didn't. So, I, I mean, when her boyfriend gets killed, it's part of a knife fight kind of between her and Clint Howard and him and Clint Howard. And, uh, Clint Howard manages to be so casual while he's trying to abduct her and murder him that that whole scene was amazing. It's worth, it was one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's worth noting that that scene kicks off when um, her and her boyfriend are fucking and Clint Howard just strolls in the room and turns on the TV to start watching Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, which which he refers to as this the killer Santa Claus movie. And then they're like, strangely not nearly as upset as they should have been with anyone being in there while they're trying to fuck, let alone dirty Clint Howard. And then, you know, when the boyfriend tries to like shoo him out like a, I don't know, like a, like a possum or a fucking bat with a broom, mayhem ensues and Clint Howard stabs the boyfriend to death with a steak, like a small steak knife. It looks like it's pretty cool. Like a prison shank. Yeah. So, Hey, I, I, I will say this. This movie was good enough that I started and made it about 10 minutes into the fifth of the franchise, which isn't to say, and then I turned it off because it was bad. I just had other stuff to do. But will I possibly, before Christmas, watch the fifth of this franchise and finish it out? I might do that. I'm going to say he's going to. I might do it. It's on Tubi. It is on Tubi. Both these movies are on Tubi. It's true. I was told they're also on Shutter in a much better quality than on Tubi, uh, but I didn't know that, so I watched them on Tubi. Oh yeah, so we would we would really need to see better quality so we can get every fucking back hair on Clint Howard's straining <laughs> ox-like back as he yeah. has a phallic Slipknot drummer nose. Oh my god! All right, well that's Silent Night, Deadly Night for the initiation. Um, it's pretty good. <laughs> that's an effective tagline. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. We would like to thank you for listening, as always. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at theharbiz666. Uh, be sure to check out Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at X 
lvacx.com and Essex Coffee Roasters at essexcoffeeroaster.com and be sure to enter Cinepunks in the promo code for 10% off. Uh, check out our Patreon. Um, what else is there? Check out Liam's rough cut shirts before they get taken down. Stop. Uh, before, we'll see what happens. Before Barry Gould comes for you. And, um, oh, also, get at us with your top 10 lists for 2010. 2020. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. 2020, please. For 2020. Um, and Merry Christmas. And I can't think of a clever pun for happy, happy boo year. Happy boo year. Happy holidays. Huh? And fuck huh? Ron Johnson and Rand Paul. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Peace. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinepunks Podcast Network.